Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Michael Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts in part in memoriam. Chadwick Boseman, our deepest, darkest thoughts about Wakanda Forever, a.k.a. Black Panther 2, a.k.a. What if the Gungans from the Phantom Menace were Bioshock Mexicans? What oh, if? What if? What if the Gungans from from Phantom Menace were uh, the people of El Dorado from that one movie uh, with uh, Kevin Klein and? Um, the, the animated one. You know which one I'm talking about. I was going to say, you, you're talking about Wawa West. What are you no, talking about? No, I'm talking about the, the road to El Dorado. El Dorado, yeah, yeah, um, okay. yeah. Lord. I, tr- I recently retried watching it. It's, it's just, it doesn't hold up. You know? Wait, it's, so it, we're going to do two things up top here. One, Mike, I'm going to ask you up top. Do you, I, I don't remember how well you know, like, the relevant comic sort of source for a lot of this stuff, including the including Namor, uh, the villain in this movie? Like, do you... Um, do you... Fairly well. Okay. Um, I, I think that the Black Panther Namor beef is, like, one of the realest ones in comics. Like, be- like way better okay. than... Like, Killmonger versus um, T'Challa was really like I think like best represented by the Christopher Priest run, like in the nineties. Um that's the one where like the waterfall battle that you see represented in the first movie is actually Killmonger and T'Challa who gets to keep all the Black Panther powers. So it's a real amazing thing. Them just kind of throwing each th- other through trees and talking about the ba- checks and balances of power for seven days. <laughs> I don't know how you do that in a, in like a movie, but like, that's what it does. That's what happens in the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Namor Black Panther beef, uh, the Jonathan Hickman new Avengers run, the end of everything run. All those like where they are kind of the, the the sort of thing that you actually see in the movie, like recognizing each other as world powers and like we have to figure we're going to keep brushing up against each other. So we're going to have to figure out who is the greater and who is the lesser type thing. But then it gets real because of what does eventually happen in the movie, which is that like the more floods Wakanda and like that's like when it really gets into high gear and the barbs really start flying and the speeches really get like cracking mm-hmm. um, and the punches are thrown um, yeah I, like it's really I do it's it's one of like the most well written like 
I mean, I don't know. Okay, so you remember Batman versus Superman, the movie, right? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, you, the one I remember, defend constantly on this The podcast, one that you yeah. defend constantly and like the one that I always bash about having the really dumb emotional resolution in the third act where they both remember that their mother's name was Martha. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to drive this pike through your heart. Like, I regret to say that like, although Wakanda Forever pulls it off better, <laughs> the exact same thing happens. And like, I can't remember specifically like how each of those battles ends in the comics, but I do know that like, it's really more like, you know, Jeezy being like, Hey, it's been 15 years since like, you know, somebody <laughs> took a shot at you and Gucci man being like, it's been, he's, you know, like Jeezy saying it's been 20 years and Gucci man like, nah, it's been 15. That's the kind of energy that like the beef is between Black Panther and the more in the comics. Yeah. Right? That's not the thing that you get in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Like, I'm also in a specific mood after playing God of War Ragnarok and watching a very good YouTube video beforehand called Untangling God of War, where they're talking about how they wrote the Loki character into the games, etc. Um, and about how, like, the natural mode of, like, re- like of how to be faithful to the mytho- to North mythology is to continue to reinvent it. So I'm, like, really, like, into, like, people, like, taking things and reinventing what the Namor character would have been because in the comics he's Namor the submariner. He comes from Atlantis. Like and in the movie uh he's from Talokan, which is like a sunken Mayan city and played by Tena Cuerta from who was like a Rafa from Narcos Mexico. Yeah. Um and I really really enjoyed that actually. <laughs> Yeah. Wait. Before okay. Before we get into the plot of this, let's just let's just acknowledge we try to do this up top a lot. There is a kind of person who, whenever they engage with reviews, their eyes go straight to the star rating. Like, forget all the florid prose about the themes of the movie. What do you rate it? What do we think about this movie, Micah? I will say I liked it a lot. I think I maybe enjoyed watching it even more than I enjoyed on balance the first Black Panther. I agree with you. Um, I think um, the emotional notes that the first movie hit, um, I think, and I was really thinking about it afterwards, are really the stuff that surprises you. Like the first waterfall scene is like, oh, this is pretty cool. It has like the funny moments where Winston Duke is barking down Martin Freeman as Everett Ross. Um, it has the emotional moments when like he meets his father on the ancestral train and he says, stand up, you're a king. And like, you know, the Ludwig Gorenson sw- uh, score swells in the background and you can't stop the tears from coming. It has really good moments, but like this was a better movie, I think. Yeah, I yeah. And it's like, I think the thing about the first movie, obviously Chadwick Boseman passed away. We talked about Chadwick on the pod some months back. Uh, and and obviously this this movie right well kind of forever is sort of filling the vacuum of him in that role um, him as an actor in general and so it's got this kind of somber tone. A thing I'll say about the first movie right is like Chadwick Boseman is such a he's such a straight man and yet like Marvel movies always kind of have to be a little hammy right. And right. like for better and worse right like that sort of tension in the first movie is really a tension between the Chadwick Bozeman performance and the Michael B. Jordan performance, right? Because Michael B. Jordan, like, as we, he can't act. Like, let's be real, he can't act. Yeah, and he's like hamming it up. But like, he can't act. But he's he's gonna do his thing regardless. Yeah, he's just kind of like, let me just let me put some Michael B. Jordan on it. Like, yeah, and it's it's it's, but it's like the the that movie kind of exists in contrast with the kind of performance that that kind of stately understated you know, grinning, but not haha performance that Chadwick is giving for the whole first movie. And it's sort of like one of the questions I had going into Wakanda forever is like, okay, well, on the one hand, because Chadwick Boseman isn't 
here anymore. Is is the sequel gonna sort of make? Is is the sequel basically gonna drag Black Panther closer to the tone of like the median Marvel movie? And instead, it's the opposite, right? It's sort of this movie is made with such reverence for Chadwick Boseman. It's like that cold open with the the credits where instead of doing the Marvel music <laughs> with the theme, yeah. it's just like silent and it's like in memoriam footage of Chadwick. Yeah, with the wind blowing. Like it's very yeah. like, I will say that like I, I felt very uneasy. Like the, the first, the, the cold open that you're describing, the movie opens and this takes a little bit of like placing some context around it, that the cast of this movie, like Angela Bassett, Chadwick Boseman, Letitia Wright, um, like they were like, I mean, they went to so many like press events together. they stood on so many carpets together and traveled so much together that they like really developed from the outside. Obviously this is me reading it on too, but like they all like had very, like emotional output, like Lupita Nyong'o, like they all like had, like I don't know what to do without my brother here anymore. Type of reactions to to his passing, like so. I mean, like all of these actors now have to do the thing where it's just like we have to work life into like the fabric of the story now because we have to explain how the leading man is gone. So. Shuri now is, uh, you know, working through the impending loss of her brother as Letitia Wright is working through the grief of losing Chadwick Boseman. And it's it feels awkward as you're watching it. Not like, it's like this, I, I don't want to like trivialize it by comparison. But like it's sort of like when you see the same sort of uncanny valley feeling I got from like seeing like Carrie Fisher in two more Star Wars movies, you know, like it's very like. Mm. But the thing is, like, you have to explain it somehow. So but the thing is, is like it's so specific his illness. I'm going to try to figure out this thing. Like them all like sort of working in that, like my brother was so sick and by the time he came to me and told me about it, I, there was nothing I could do type of thing. Like everybody having the same reaction around. He looked like I didn't know what he was. You never know what someone is going through. I think that we worked that through that on the Chadwick Boseman episode itself. Um, all of that is present and then is still present. And then this scene which just feels strange. And then the cold open, which you just got to gotta sit there with both of it, with both of those feelings of something necessarily exploited, but like it working very effectively to give you a very emotional response as those credits are, co are coming in. You know but I think, I think to your point, about the Carrie Fisher thing, right? I actually think to draw a contract, because I understand like having a similar reaction, that's yeah. sort of uncanny feeling, but I think in terms of the execution, I think what Cooler did was much smarter than how I think like Johnson and what's his name handled it. Because it's like in this movie, right? It's sort of the beginning of this movie, everything from the very beginning to the, the sort of credits, mm -hmm. all of the stuff where it's like, oh, T'Challa's dying. Oh, T'Challa's dead. is so whirlwind and sudden right it's not like the carrie fisher thing where it's, it's like very... three years later you're still watching new footage of her in the movies because they still haven't figured out how to it's like in this it's like the movie just hits you like a like a brick wall in the first two and a half minutes with like yo he's gone yeah he's gone. and it's just like I, it's it definitely is like a better execute like it's like you know you have to do it so in the the way that it was done was like actually deft, like for like what the like the tone that the movie has to establish. Cause it's like a lot of the things that the thing has that the movie has to accomplish. Like you have to still be a superhero movie while also sort of being a funeral and introducing several new characters and turning like this turning this grief into whatever it is that superheroes have that get them from act two to three. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
and not cheapening it by doing that. That's like is 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 like that's a lot of things that a movie has to do, <laughs> which is yeah. why it does sometimes feel messy. But I think you know is I I thought it was yeah I thought it was good. Yes, we've talked about the somber stuff. We need to we need to get to the the part where we talk about the conflict of this movie. I got two words, Micah. C, C Mexicans. C. C Mexicans. What do we think about the C Mexican? What do we oh, think? Of, like, first of all, man. you know what? I'm sitting in a theater, right? And they got the, the fucking trailers playing for James Cameron's Avatar 2. And little did I know that that Sexy was also the movie that I was there to watch that day in Wakanda Forever with the C Mexicans. Okay, so I, I like know, the C Mexicans. Bro. I, like, I, I, I yes, the, 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 the scene where, like, because there is Wait, the plot of this movie is that um, surprise, there were more. There was more than one vibranium asteroid that struck the Earth on that day. So there are, I mean, naturally, the one that was discovered on Earth would be the one that we know about, but the land surface is 70% water. They just kind of mm. slipped that fact in there for you. Mm. <laughs> so, realize, yeah. realize, realize, realize. realize. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, why wouldn't there be another vibranium deposit under the sea? Um, and sort of monster movie Godzilla protecting the volcano sort of underwater type shit. Like the, the Atlanteans emerge and like descend on this U.S. research vessel that's doing this joint research, that's doing a joint operation with like, you know, the DOD or whatever. There's people in watch caps and Kevlar vests looking yeah. over the bow with, with binoculars and shit. Do, do, do. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like they come in and it's, it's a cold entrance. Like I like the, yeah. the, the song, like the song of the sirens thing that they do is like kind of builds up the tension in this really interesting way. Like there's a little callback to the happening that 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 goes on when like the people hear the song of the stars and just start walking off the the side of the ship. Um, it's cool, you know. I and then like the the introduction when you finally see the underwater city is like I think a very like well, it's it's just such a fever dreamy sort of sequence. Like I enjoyed it. And it was over before I had time to know what I thought about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that like uh, Ruth Carter's team did another like amazing job with like pulling whatever and giving you the pulling uh, pulling from different uh, you know points in history and giving it just enough of like texture. Like everything seemed to have a purpose that like. I don't like okay. So, do you remember when they were first trying to cast a more character? Like no, the stories no. that were first coming out. This was no. like after uh, Dracula Untold came out, and that uh, hot, like the 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 Fast and the Furious movie where they introduced Shaw's brother, um, and Luke Evans. They were like, oh, Luke Evans actually is like an action hero and he can, you know, play Namor because he looks like Namor. Look at how Namor looks in the comics, which is like, you know, square jaw, six two two forty build of like, you know, your pick your um pick your comics leading man, Shazam, Batman, Superman, they all had the same build. Like so Namor has a, has a similar one. I mean, like even like T'Challa, like in the in the early '90s, had a similar build. Except he was just like, oh, you know what? He's bald and has a goatee. That's how we're gonna say that he's black or whatever with the art style. But like the submariner, as he looks at the comics, looks like I mean, you put the pictures side by side. That's how Luke Evans looks. But I like that they did this thing where they're like, well what's another place? I'd be like, where would Atlantis be? Like, where mm -hmm. would a, like, why would a city retreat into the sea, you know, to escape war and disease? Where would, where did war and disease happen? Let's pick some place that white people went and messed Small up. Smallpox. Yeah, exactly. That's, and so they're like, all right. Um, so when the Atlanteans come out of the water and they start speaking demands on like, you know, the people, 
like being like, where's the researcher that built this machine? It turns out they're speaking uh, like an extinct tongue that they like kind of fish up via some Google voice translator thing. They're just kind of like, oh, they're speaking uh, Yucatan Mayan. And it's just like, it's so, this is a Mayan city that retreated into the sea because they found like some sort of heart-shaped herb thing and had like this sort of religious culling ceremony where everybody drank it and died. And then they rose up with gills and walked into the sea. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Did you? Yeah, I like I liked that. So, you know what it is? It's just that like at face value, we, we kind of have to talk about Huerta. We have to talk about um, mm-hmm. Namor and the leader of the Sea Mexicans because I think an interesting thing, like a big part of why I liked this storyline is because it's like, I don't know. If you think about Killmonger in the first movie, right? Like I, I talk about Michael B. Jordan all the time. Killmonger is so hammy. And he's so kind of like Michael B. Jordan pouts through that first movie. He just pouts through the whole movie. Meanwhile, you have Namor show up and Namor because Namor is the leader, right? They sort of emphasize he's not just the leader. He's kind of like they talk about him as if he's the god of the the sea Mexicans, right? They do not (laughs) call him man or king. They call him cool, cool god. Yeah, right. (laughs) And it's sort of when he first shows up, um, to Sherry and Amanda, right? Like he, when he shows up on the beach in the dark in Wakanda and they're like, how did you, who are you? How did you get here? Where are you from? And he's like, he doesn't even tell him everything. He doesn't tell him the whole story of everything. He just says, you know, my enemies call me, you know, Namor. And I think an interesting thing about his performance, right? Is like, you really don't, you can't get a read on him necessarily throughout most of the movie, right? Like he kind of, a lot of Marvel movies or movies that sort of work on these big thematic good versus evil things. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of time you have the problem of like, it's, it's too obvious, like what the bad guy in a movie stands for. And I do think that Namor is really good, especially to me, right? Somebody who doesn't read the comics. He, he was really good at containing like a lot of different, potentialities and his performance does sort of channel a kind of like oh are we gonna fight the sea mexicans like is it yeah is there gonna be a lot you're not sure he's good at like kind of withholding and being a bit of a tease right because like i think also the fundamental question the film has to answer is whether or not like Letitia Wright can be the leading, can be the leading man. So it's just right. like presenting this other character as not really even like a, you couldn't really even call him a villain. Like the thing yeah, is, is that, it's even weird to call him a villain. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little weird to call him a villain. Although his plan isn't much better than what Killmonger's was. Um, like his is just like attack the surface world, which is like always, you know, yeah. the, the 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 sea people's plan. But I mean, like presenting it in like a natural way, because it's not like I'm here to ki- like, you know, because my ancestor, did you, did your ancestors <laughs> ask with like the way that like, you know, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan plays Killmonger and still in this movie. Yeah, just <laughs> mad the whole movie. Like, uh, and I mean, I don't know. Have you watched any of uh, Narcos Mexico? Like his, no, like uh, Fuerte's performance in that. Like he, it's childlike. There's like mm-hmm. him as Rafa is like a couple of. I, I I'm distinctly remembering, you know, after they set up base in. <sighs> They move from the sticks and they set up base in the city and they, they get like a, like the, the, the team gets a mansion and we're finally in the money. First thing he does is get like a pocket rocket dirt bike and start riding it around the house while the realtor's still there. And like, there's also like, this is like just an interstitial of like him having these sort of Macaulay Coke home alone in the hotel moments, like I'm going to get the women over here and him trying to like puff his chest out to them once they get there. But him having, him having no idea how to be in a nice house, you know, and he plays it so well, like 
And this is after you've already seen him kill, like, I think, like, five or six people, like, on screen, you know? And it's just, like, you feel giddy with him. So it's, like, there's also, there's those scenes where after they capture uh, Letitia Wright, which is, like, what happens, like, in the first act to, to bring their meeting, to their first meeting together, is, like, he's, the first time you see him not, like, making demands or threats is him sitting on a stool painting a mural like with a like with a shawl over his shoulders and like looking up yeah. like you know with these beady eyes the beady eye, yeah yeah which he does so well he does but it's, it's like it's and it's like this moldable thing that he kind of presents and takes away at like really you know at good times he's a good actor <laughs> yeah oh um, yeah and plays the character like yeah, like with this withholding nature that makes it so that yeah, you can project what you want onto it as he speeds the film towards its conclusion. Yeah, and it's like they set him up with the you know you learn that he he's kind of like a complimentary storyline in the sense that you know before the Spanish drove the sea Mexicans into the sea, right? It's like he you know he what is it his his mom dies and he goes back to the surface to bury her at you know her her ancestral home and he sees the spanish having enslaved all these people and he he, he and the the you know people of talocan like they burn down the plantation or whatever right there's that scene and you get that like okay this is a character propelled by grief and vengeance right and that sort of yeah you understand his sense of justice in like a few short minutes yeah for sure um although i i will say that like i liked uh this is a movie where i liked the flashbacks right like i liked how they kind of i liked the glimpses you get of namor's mother i liked the scene where he confronts the spanish um i did think that like if you remember back during the first Black Panther, like you and I did a, a sort of back and forth post for The Ringer where we talked about kind of like the politics of Wakanda. And part of why we did that post is because like, I, you know, Wakanda is relatively in the first Black Panther movie, it's like pretty well realized as like a place, even though you could just look at it and say, sure, at face value, it looks like a bunch of sets in Atlanta, <laughs> right? It's yeah. sort of like the waterfall looks like you can see it's like a matte painting. <laughs> like you, you get it, right? But the movie, it's sort of like the movie, the direction and the writing is such that, yes, despite that though, you get the idea of Wakanda being a place with a particular like history, right? Like you, you know, it, that's what makes, I think the first Black Panther feel so different from other Marvel stuff. And I think it's even better in Wakanda forever, the stuff in Wakanda. Cause it just, it, again, it communicates you feel- the same things without trying to, without trying to like build a monument to itself. Like there's yeah, more, yeah. There's like, I remember that there's like a lot of closer in shots. Like it's trying, it's not trying to show, it's showing you more of Wakanda by showing you less of it. Like, um, like the way that people's funeral garb falls as they do this sort of dance is only Mm -hmm. six people instead of like, you would have maybe in the first movie seen the whole street, the entire procession. Yeah. Um, there's like, I think what I'm describing here is, is that like, there was a, there was a measure of restraint that I guess I wasn't expecting, like when I was watching the movie and like, it makes, um, like even the action, like is better for it. Like it's, uh, like for instance, like they introduced like Michaela Coelho, like she's like the Nakia character. And in the comic, mm-hmm. she's like an agent of chaos within the Dora Milaje, like just sort of like, why do things have to be this way? Why do I have to shave my head? I want to go back to, in the way that they introduced the Ironheart character, which is played by Dominic Thorne, that's, that would have been the story of like, a new member of the door Milaje. Like, so troubled teen who is proficient at XYZ goes to Wakanda and gets put through their paces in combat training and taught the values of blah de blah de blah. This would have been Nakia, um, who's played by Michaela Coel. But she shows up and it's like her first thing is during that awesome, like Angela Bassett, like uh voiceover. 
where she's just talking about like how, oh, you think that we've lost our protector and that we're weak now. And then like she rises up and cuts the front, the tip of the machine gun off with like the, yeah. I mean, like it's, there are, oh, sorry. I thought there. Well, there are a lot of good notes like uh, from the comics that are used well to the movie's end. Like without having to tell you everything about this character. Just, yeah, like it makes sense that she would emerge at this time and place. Yeah. I Can we actually talk a bit about the Iron, like the Riri Williams character for a bit? Because it's sort of like that stretch of the movie, especially the the, the bit at MIT, I think that's kind of the one stretch of the movie that I think tries to be a Marvel movie. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. And it's you know, like, it's got the kind of comic relief of her throwing the space heater, and... her throwing the space heater, and like Dana Garan being like, "Oh, like my my blush doesn't match like the back of my head." Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it's like a very like it's a funny reprieve that goes on maybe a little bit too long yeah like, they don't know what to do with the, it yeah after a and point. she does the like very nervous like companion thing too many quips like i think that like you know kind of like the presence of the marvelization of the movie is there because like right at the end of it we get the chase scene with the atlanteans that ends with that standoff on the bridge that is so Although I love that shit. Amazing. I love that. It's yeah, so I love it's that like so much. the arc, the arc that Danny or I gets in this movie is so incredible. The arc to like the the um like the Midnight Angels, which are like the rogue faction of the Dorbelage that do have suits that fly around like that. Um is like it's so <laughs> it's so well done. Like, cause I like the fact that it's like the standoff on the bridge between her and the general of like the Atlantean people. Um, and she gets like, she gets the second crack at it at the end of the movie, which I think is maybe like the better confrontation in the third act. Yeah. Um, well, I will make a general statement, which is that I think the chase scene in this movie is significantly better than the chase scene in the first Black Panther. Like the, the chase scene here is better. Like the this the three-way with the Iron Man suit and the all that stuff in this movie better than the Korea segment of Black Panther One. Um and yeah, it's like okay, so you've got that bit of the movie. And then what it's like, yeah, that's when they set up the whole okay, so the Atlanteans like they kidnap they kidnap, but what they it's like Sherry wants to go with them. She's trying to play, she's doing this kind of risky diplomacy. She's like, I will go with you. But they also really want to kidnap the scientist, the the girl from MIT, right? Like Riri Williams, because they're like, yo, she's made this device that can detect uh vibranium, right? And the, meanwhile, in the beginning of the movie, they're like, the UN is meeting, they're like, yo. We need vibranium. Why won't Wakanda trade vibranium? We can't make a device that will help yeah. us find, like, mine the it. The MacGuffin is the machine, like, that right. can detect vibranium. And nobody thought that anyone could produce such a machine. After that, right. um, after Angela Bassett's monologue about how, like, you know, we are are we are as strong as ever. And if you want to find vibranium, you know, we wish you the best of luck. Immediately yeah. after that, they find vibranium using yeah. this machine. Right. And that's and, why the sea Mexicans show up and they're like, yo, we y'all got people out here looking for vibranium? Like, yeah. nah, y'all not about to come here and colonize us again. And that's their whole... Yeah, so story. rather than destroying the machine, they're just like, let's kill the scientists so like, they can't make any more machines. Yeah, uh, yeah. Simple math. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah... Yeah, exactly. The, uh, I mean, yeah, that that thing right there. I mean, like the MacGuffin, the 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 machine, which also is like how they get the Atlanteans to show up to uh, an ambush in the third act. That is as dumb as like any plan that you could, yeah. you know, like yeah. come up with when you know, like you are angry. I guess we should explain a little bit more about like 
how they mold Letitia Wright into the next Black Panther. In this yeah, movie. yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, as we left her at the end of like the first movie, it was her and T'Challa going to like the community outreach program. She's nineteen and seeing the world. I'm gonna go to like university and see the kids living their lives type thing. At the beginning of this movie, she is like, you know, back in the lab trying to save her brother's life. And then like throughout this movie, she's just going through a transformation because grief is transformative. Like, and now like, and there's this, there's this really, I keep coming back to Angela Bassett because she puts in work in this movie. Yeah, she like <laughs> yelling at people. She Yeah. Ooh. She, uh, have I she not given everything? Yeah. It's yeah. like. And the shoulders too, like, it, like again. When I say everything has a purpose, the broadness <laughs> of her shoulders when she is kicking up the water, like yeah. as she's trying to save, uh, as she's trying to save the Iron Heart character, like is, I mean, like also a beautiful shot, amazing yeah. performance. But like she also asks, um. She asked Shuri, like, at this beautiful scene by the riverbank, like, you know, does your brother's memory bring you comfort or torment? And that's, like, the central question of the movie. Like, how can I be this thing when I don't believe in any of it and, like, I just want to be me? Is there any room for that? Like, you know, all I want to do now is step away and let myself break, but like I have duties and responsibilities. How do I fulfill those? Um, which means that like the performance is kind of, uh, like it's kind of like, like it's good because it captures something kind of raw, but maybe not exactly what the character needs. If you get my drift. Yeah, it's why it, it's also that like her performance is why the astral plane scene in this movie ends up being like the smartest shit in the movie. When, yes. So it's like Lupita sends her to the astral plane, right? And it's like you're thinking of it, you're like, okay, well, they can't send her to me because in the previous movie, it's like, you know, T'Challa with the previous King T'Challa, like, you know, whatever, whatever. But it's like Chad, Chad, Chadwick's past, right? And so you're like, oh, what, what is this scene going to be? And they establish that, like, oh, she's actually going to go visit Angela Bassett in the astral plane, right? And she goes, right? And Shuri sort of looks at the throne and she peeks around it, and it's Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> Michael B. With Jordan. Extensions. With yeah. extensions. Uh. And it's like, you know, and, and they have this, they have this kind of Sith Lord-ass argument, um, you know, where Michael B. Jordan is just doing a thing of like, like, what's that, what's the line he sort of caps everything on is like, he's like, are, are you, you going to be, be honorable like, like your, your brother? Yeah, brother? Are you going to get gonna shit handle done? handle business like me. Handle yeah. business. He says, handle, he doesn't say sh get shit done. Are you going to handle business like me, right? And I guess what I mean by it's smart is this sense of like, yeah, you're right. Because maybe Black Panther 1, we never even thought of this question of like Shuri becoming Black Panther, Letitia becoming Black Panther. And it's like the temperament, like her grief in, in Wakanda Forever gives her character this really kind of, it gives her an edge, right? And it gives her this petulant flavor. And it does feel like, like you get to that scene and you're like, oh yeah, this character really does feel like she could break either way. She could either have that kind of like smirking, honorable, righteous flavor that Chadwick Boseman's, you know, uh, Black Panther had, or she could have that kind of like dark, vengeful, um, like, second movie in a trilogy ass, you know, like, yeah. bloodlust that like blood must uh, be replayed in blood like type shit. Yeah. That, I mean, like arises in the T'Challa character, honestly, at my favorite points in the comic, like mm -hmm. <laughs> I come back to it again is that like it took Bruce Wayne 15 years to get his get back. <laughs> T'Challa got it right then. 
He took yeah. Claw's hand off right then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like there's I mean, I and like I, I liked that she kind of uh like like by the end of the movie, it's like there's not really an answer to that question about which way it is like she breaks. Like, okay, she comes to a realization that her there's too many casualties happening out on the field and I need to find a different resolution to this. But you led your people into a very precarious situation yeah. because you wanted revenge. And like, really that decision is more or less met with understanding by the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I mean, like, I think better for the better resolution of it, but like, again, it was a very dumb plan when she, when she stands <laughs> up and when she stands up on the ship after they've captured Namor and, and he's just kind of like, uh, he calls her by a different name, I think, T'Challa or something. Mm-hmm. Like he's seeing ghosts and she's like, no, I'm the Black Panther and I'm here for retribution. It is yeah. definitely like, oh, it's a grown worthy moment. But like, I think that that like, yeah, I think that that's the better movie is like when you are kind of stripped of all manner to process like your grief like the most profound grief you've ever felt, what might be left is infantile rage, which is like what you get. (laughs) Yeah. And the movie for these reasons of like that kind of unruliness, right. Of like tone, the movie falls apart a little toward the end. We can also talk about the fact that, that their plan for besting Namor, right? Because remember, Namor can fly his wings on his feet. He has like different characteristics. people can breathe underwater. His people can breathe in the water and their brilliant ideas like, dog, what if we invented a, a giant dehumidifier <laughs> to like fry his skin? <laughs> and, like, take, what? <laughs> and 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 after after threat of invasion, after yeah. our after our people have been flooded, take <laughs> our people's strongest protectors out on a boat into the on middle of the ocean. <laughs> Yo, the part where they like hit the the boat, when they hit the ship with the little explosive water things, and you just, re- you, it is in that moment, you look and you're like, damn, every important person from Wakanda is on this is one on ship. This if they sink this ship, that's it. That's a wrap. It's game. The whole, yeah. the whole is game over, bro. <laughs> M'Baku is on this ship. Like every single character that matters is on this one ship stranded in the middle of the ocean. And you're like, this This was not a smart plan, dog. Like, y'all had no exit strategy. None. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that, and even then, even though I think the final battle of this movie is a little ridiculous, and even, oh man, I didn't even like the part of the one-on-one fight with Shuri and Namor where- I didn't like it either. The last move where she fries him with the jets- on her ship. I just, I is a little too kind of like deus ex machina, I think. Yeah, he says, because I mean like, all right, let's, let's get it straight. Let's, let's get it right. He says Imperius Rex. The first like direct, like the first real direct comics reference. Oh, explain it because I didn't actually understand. I like that. that's his like uh, Namor's thing is like, you know, like the boom biff, like pal thing he says when he, you know, like puts out his city leveling punch as Imperius Rex. Oh, right? okay, okay. So uh, he says Imperius Rex. Then she does the Wakanda sl- what, what, forever salute, and which turns on the jets of the of the down Quinjet thing, whatever that just happens to be right there, which then finally fries the last bit of moisture out of Namor's body, which is how he replenishes himself. You learn, um, he can breathe outside of water, but he regenerates by going underwater and he can fly, you know? So he's basically as powerful as he needs to be. (laughs) Right. It's just, I think that, the, the thing with the jet is just too much like a corny version of the last scene of License to Kill. If listeners have ever seen it, where like uh, Bond throws the lighter, mm-hmm. Bond throws the the wedding lighter, 
Uh, it sends homeboy on fire. Uh, it's like a corny version of that. That's the only thing I don't like about it. But like I said, I think even then, I kind of preferred the the at sea battle, even to the the last battle, the field battle at the end of Black Panther one. I don't know why. I think it's just like uh, I don't know. There's a there's something about all of the contingencies of this movie that kind of I think Coogler. It seems to me at face value, like Coogler probably fought for a kind of tone for this movie to have, right? And that this movie in a lot of ways, even though it has to be a movie with C Mexicans and, you know, Martin Freeman being a CIA agent who's married to Julia Louis-Dreyfus with the, the purple streak in her hair and all that stuff, right? It's like this movie, I think, really, I don't know, I really bought into the melodrama of it. I really bought into that sense of like, oh, we're doing a fantasy play about grief in the context of the actor from the previous movie having died in real life and people having a real sense of grief in the culture about it. Like, I just thought, I thought the movie sold it so well. I thought it was smart having the sort of the twin grief storylines of Shuri and Namor. Like, I thought that stuff... Like, and you know, you're watching a Disney movie, but you're like, yeah, but they did this. Like, Coogler yeah. pulled this shit off. Like, yeah, he did and it. Okoye. And Okoye. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it feels real. Like, when she loses Shuri after losing the battle, and it's like, what, how can I, like, how can I call myself general? Like, if I can't protect anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, that's also like a really good thing that the movie gets at. Like, when Angela Bassett stands up in front of everybody and strips her of her rank. And yeah. it's just kind of like my, That's I'm cold. the most powerful woman in the world. My family is gone. Have I not given everything? Yeah. That, that moment. Yeah. And you're like, oh. damn fair. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Good movie. That's my good summary movie. judgment. Good movie. Yeah. Good, good movie. Good movie. Good movie. Um, and it's, again, I don't know that it's, I would say, like, in in a sort of distant sense that, like, this movie is better than the original Black Panther. It's more that just, like, I enjoyed watching it more. I, I, I that, enjoyed watching it more, even though it's two hours and 45 minutes long, I enjoyed watching it more. Uh, I can't let that pass without comment, the rundown yeah, of these movies. It, it, it's, it goes on for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. You got any more thoughts about it? Um, no. Like, I'm excited to see what they do with, like, a Black Panther 3 after this. You know what I mean? In a way that I wasn't after Black Panther 1 that excited to see what they would do with Black Panther 2. This one, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, a, a full movie with Shuri as the Black I Panther. I feel like, like okay. they'll be, like, they'll fully put their foot in it the third time. Yeah. Because like, yeah. it's, like, the second film felt like oh like all right we're gonna try stuff now like mm -hmm. um because that sort of like mix of tones that like you're that you're kind of pointing out there like it's tough to adequately describe the beauty of like the it, the like the like the atlantean scenes like yeah all of them like all, oh. like how how well they're thought out and how well they're orchestrated. It, down, like especially like the the surprise art film in there about uh, Namor's <laughs> backstory. Surprise. Yeah, well, you, okay, that's one thing I wanted to say. I'm, I'm one of the last notes here. Like, I really like Talokan, right? And it's sort of the main doses you get of it are when you first are introduced to it, and then through the flashbacks where it's sort of the origin story of Talokan, right? Oh, no, it's like the flashbacks that establish it, and then the scenes where it's sort of like, we're going to go out and fight Wakanda, you know, the big kind of last act scenes yeah. where they're sort of raising the, the troops to go out and fight them at sea. I wanted like one more batch of Talokan scenes because it's what I was saying before about how well characterized Wakanda is. I think one weak point is that Talo Khan needs to kind of feel like it's on par with Wakanda in terms of like yeah. how fleshed out it is as a kind of isolated, desperate, but otherwise thriving society. And yeah. it does feel a little bit of a mismatch to me. Like Wakanda feels so much more well-realized, granted because it had a whole movie before this, but it's so much more well-realized than Talo Khan is. Like, especially because Talo Khan looks so cool. You want to know more about that place. Like you want to spend it, more time with It definitely people. feels as though like, uh, and like the thing 
when he's just sort of like, oh, I, I, you know, I was my, I was blind to like the surface dwellers because mm-hmm. my heart wanted to blah, 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 kind of rousing the troops off. To, it feels like between like them going around to the market and people doing the, like the cuckoo con salute thing and, you know, them, oh, look at this seashell and try this thing and blah, blah, blah like a switch is flipped in between that and suddenly them standing on attention as he's sitting on the throne. Like what happens to like, what call is sounded to gather all the people to the square? What businesses did they leave? Like the, the, yeah. the, 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 the thing is missing in between that thing that you're describing. The texture of like, life. Yeah. yeah. The texture of life is sort of missing because the texture of life is only presented through this is what I have to defend and this is why I have to kill the scientist. So it's only what Shuri gets to see. Like is like only the thing that matters. Yeah. Sort of yeah. also to the story and to the viewer. And you wish that there was more of it. Yes. Yeah. Instead, Talakai ends up being like mostly just that room with the the mural in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the mean. room with the mural yeah. in it and the and the two one or two market scenes. Yeah, and, for sure. Like you know the throne, yes, amphitheater, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that wraps our Wakanda Forever talk. Uh, I know we haven't really talked about takeoff yet. I think we should maybe save that for a full episode, maybe or something like that. We can talk about Migos. Like I don't know, it's hard to to. It's not a thing we just want to do a tossed off commentary about like it's obviously like take off die right like I, I haven't really I was on vacation obviously in Mexico and then in Wisconsin I don't know if they found the gunman yet like I, I I sort of need to catch back up on everything that sort of happened with that with Migos and take off um, and I mean like on a like to be frank on a personal level uh, after like after the news came out I think one of the few things that I saw was like I think Quavo did an interview like soon after and like I don't want to mm-hmm. see like I'm not ready actually to watch like Quavo cry like yeah, that yet. Yeah. Um uh but yeah, I mean like I I I do think that we should talk about it and I think we will. Yeah. We'll 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 try to do something. But um in the meantime, like I said, we have holidays coming up, stuff like that. We should probably plan also on doing a mailbag episode sometime soon. Maybe listeners start sending us in mailbag questions, stuff like that. Uh, if we get a chance to do a mailbag episode at some point between, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's soundonlypod at gmail.com. That's all I got this week. Micah? That's all I got. All right. Well, I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Michael Peters. Shouts out to our producer, Stefan Anderson. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.